Feather the brake and get back to the gas. Dan and Dirk are headed into turn three on the front stretch. Well, it all started, uh, I, uh, I picked up the, uh, an old 34 Ford two-door coach and uh, it was just something that I was ramming around on the, on the street with it. I had it. I had another car that, that I uh, drove, but I kind of liked that old beater Ford. And uh, I, that old beater Ford it ended up being my first race car that I had over at Playland Park. <laughs> so that's the one you ended up. What year was that? That, that was 1949. 1949. What year was the car? Uh, what, uh, oh, the Ford? What year was it? It was a 1934 Ford, Ford two-door. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Those are beautiful cars. Well, you see some of those here at Quaker Steak and Lube on Wednesday nights. Mm -hmm. People oh, yeah. get to restore them. Do you, have, you ever, have you seen that car in the, in the recent years? Do you know what happened to it? No. The only, one that, uh, the only one that I really know where it's still at, uh, I, was, uh, I had a 1934 Hudson that... Uh, I drove quite a few years through them days, and and uh, and it uh, got passed around. I sold it, and it traveled around the area. And, and even though I sold it, I kind of wish I hadn't because I won a lot of races with the thing, and it ended up out at McCook hmm. and in a in a salvage yard, and and it was up for sale along the fence, and uh, they uh, so. I went out there and took a look at it, and I thought, well, maybe I'd buy it back, and it was really kind of bad shape then. But I thought, well, I'd get a steel pole, and then I'd put it up and just have some advertisement put on it. Yeah. And anyhow, uh, I didn't want to pay the amount of money that the guy wanted for it, and so I passed on it. But then about a week later, I had a representative from Speedway Motors uh, come and say that, uh, that they would like to get that car for Bill Smith and uh, and put it in their museum. And uh, that just made me real, real happy. And so they did uh, They did get it and put it in there. And they didn't make it look all fancy or nothing. They kind of pretty much left it all nasty. They did paint my old eight ball on it. <laughs> and uh, and the, the, the whole thing is about this is the way old race cars die. And and so here it is sitting on, on green, fake uh, grass, the little skunk crawling out from underneath the thing, <laughs> oil cans laying around on the thing, and, and, it's, and it's boarded off where you can't go up and touch it, but you can walk right by it and see yeah. all about it. And so when he did that, I, I, I couldn't have been happier because I was so proud to have owned that car that uh, it made me feel good yeah I, I i can only reach a little close to you with that with you know everyone's got that first car that they mm -hmm. love and mm -hmm. i remember my old uh gmc i think it was a sierra uh that it was just it was a pile of junk truck but man it got me up and down the road and i loved that truck and i, I would pay good a good penny these days to find out where that truck is yeah. and get it back because there's there's a lot of memories to that that first vehicle and that probably that first race car for you We'll talk about some of those first years, the, the beginning years, getting to learn the track. Uh, you know, a, a lot of people that are, are alive today know you as, as the legend that, that won plenty, but there was probably that learning curve when you were racing at Playland and then over at, speed, at, uh, at, at Sunset. Well, really, when, when we first started over there, you know, it was strictly stock cars. There's no, no modifications, nothing you couldn't improve on the engine or anything, and... and 
and second off, none of us knew how to make it go around the corner, you know, and uh, so we was always trying a lot of really stupid things, you know, and, no. and some of them worked and some of them didn't, and, uh, but it, it, if it went better, okay, yeah, that worked pretty good, but uh, if it if it didn't, well, that is no good. We'll take, we'll take that back off. Yeah. But that uh, was just a, a lot of learning, and, and it, it never stopped. It just kept advancing more. And then, and then you switch from the coupes to the to a, a late model, almost like what they are now, except there weren't the chassis factories like there are now. You know, you were building your chassis in your garage, but it was still another big learning curve. Right. Yeah, our, when we finally did uh, go over to the other style car, you know, with the uh, with the uh, coil spring front ends and stuff, there again, we had to st- learn to figure out what it took to make them go around the corner, and uh, and then as they went on, yeah, then your then your bottom chassis started coming in, and and you had quite a few really reliable builders that was making cars. But still, you had to bring them home, and you still had to uh, work with them. And uh, and uh, nobody talks to you a lot because they they don't want to help you too much because you might beat them, you know. And, or and I didn't talk too much either. If I found something out. But. Well, and the, and there, what what is hard to for me to fathom, and I'm sometimes slower than the average bear, that. There wasn't anybody before you for a lot of this stuff. You, you guys were the pioneers. When you're talking about trying something new and it works, you stuck with it, or you mm-hmm. tried something new and it didn't work, mm-hmm. there was nobody that had a notebook before you. No. You know, these, these guys today have, have it pretty easy because of you. When they walk into a racetrack, they've got a notebook thanks to somebody else that raced there or their chassis manufacturer or whatever it could be. They've got a notebook because you guys pioneered that, and, and you're the ones that learned those ins and outs. Yeah, that's pretty much the way it was. You just uh, uh, it just tried this uh, a little bit and, and did that, but you usually didn't do a whole lot of talking uh, to your competitors because uh, it was tough enough to beat them uh, sometimes uh, without mm-hmm. without them getting any of something that you might have figured out but it was pretty friendly though i mean you and, and your competitors you guys you didn't talk about racing but you guys were all good friends oh all the time we'd we'd help one another or or if, if somebody needed a part because uh, uh, something broke on their car or, or whatever yeah we'd we'd help back right. and forth that's why he bought a bar so you guys all have a place to drink <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you you want a bar now how long have you been in the, in the bar business uh, I, I bought the Alpine Inn in May, May 1st, 1973. Wow. Wow. That's 44 years. That's good math. I, I wouldn't have got there that quick. <laughs> Nowhere near that quick, but that's your generation. You guys were always good at math. I, I, unfortunately, I yield to the calculator too many times, and, and I don't have that book smarts. Uh, you said Playland Speedway. That's where you started racing. First couple of years, was it, were you exclusive to Playland, or did you kind of spread around a little bit? Oh, there was a couple of little uh, little tracks that cropped up. Uh, uh, even right in Council Bluffs, there was the one down by the South Omaha Bridge. Uh, the name of that place was the Blue Heron. Yeah. And they carved that out just out of a, a field there, and it was a mosquito pit. And, <laughs> and uh, you... you the time you got out of there in the summertime, sometimes you need a transfusion. You, to were, you were a court low? <laughs> <laughs> the engine and the body. <laughs> I can imagine Nebraska City was probably like that, too. Probably Nebraska City was terrible. Yeah. It was really bad. And then 
up the one up uh, in uh, by Ottawa. It was along the river also, and the mosquitoes was pretty bad around there too. Now Sunset was really a, an ideal place. It was high on the hill. You always had a nice breeze there, and you kind of kept the mosquitoes uh, weren't so bad. And and uh, I tell you, the guys was really smart uh, too when they when they built the place because. Uh, we weren't going very fast, you know, back back in the day, but they had the they had the the walkway in front of the grandstand, kind of narrow, and and the people got a chance to sit kind of close up to the track, and it seemed like to them we was going fast. Yeah, and it's when a, you, yeah, yeah, when you get the when you get the seats back away from the track, then we're going a lot faster yet now, but it it don't look quite yeah. as much. And, and, and Playland, remember, remind me, was an uh, asphalt track, right? They did that. Uh, uh, it was dirt when it started. Okay. Yeah, and it, when the dirt when it started, and then, see, I got drafted and ended up going to Korea. Uh, and when I come home from there in 1953, they had asked, they'd blacktopped it. And, uh, and I went back over there that, that spring, and... And we did not have asphalt tires. Uh, uh, we was using everything we could find, and, and there was one recapper, uh, uh, boiling tire. Uh, he took a, 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 and made a matrix so he could make a, uh, a something that resembled a asphalt slick, but it uh, wasn't the right rubber. Yeah. It, it was just not the right stuff. And, so you did a lot of sliding around on that asphalt, and if a little bit of water got spilled on it, you know, you, you, you just for sure probably was going to go around. Uh, so it wasn't very good, and I, I couldn't, I just couldn't wait until he opened up Sunset. <laughs> <laughs> and when did Sunset open up? That was uh, early 1957. The guy knows it like the back of his hands. You really couldn't wait, could you? Well, that... Uh, that, uh, yeah, I, I liked uh, I liked that real well, and and uh, that clay was was a little bit uh, tricky, and and it would get dry slick, and and uh, you had to treat it with a little care, but uh, it was a good fun place to to race for many many years. Yeah, what I liked about it back then, and I can remember going there in '62, '63, mm-hmm. and stuff, is how the cars entered on the front straightaway. Mm-hmm. You know, they had that fence, and they'd come out. So, you, I mean, you got to see you were eight foot away from that race car going by. That as a four or five year old kid, that was pretty cool. Well, yeah, yeah, you bet. It uh, it was kind of a sad thing, uh, but you know, the uh, the people uh, wanted uh, the race track gone because they was expanding the, uh, the housing development, housing, and everything course. around there. Yeah. And and they got offered a reasonable, good amount of money for the thing, and. And they still owned the property. They yeah. didn't have to give up the land. They just wanted it down. Cease and desist. Yep. Well, and it, you know, we, we, we've had you on the show with a little Sunset uh, reunion show and, and talking about that stuff. And it it's unfortunate. You can look at the situation and you say, boy, I sure wish it, they wouldn't have made that deal. But then you can't blame them because it had been take the paycheck or you'd have been forced out. You know, it, it, progress was going to end that track regardless. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it just does make... Uh, a lot of the other tracks, like down in Lincoln, Midwest Speedway, uh, it, it, it's, it's gone. Uh, um, though there was another one, too, on, on, on 27th. Uh, it's gone. And, 
Well, and most then, recently, they closed the state fairgrounds in Des Moines. Yeah. They're going to redo a bunch go. of stuff with yeah. that. Well, and U.S. 30 is gone now. Uh, back to your career just a little bit. Let's talk about some of your, your favorite memories. And we'll start at Playland. Uh, some of your favorite memories from there. Do, do you have a couple that, that you can that you just like to sit back in your recliner and remember? Well, at Playland, uh, you know, I, I never ever really set the world on fire over there, but we was we was always pretty competitive. But uh, uh, as far as is uh, feature wins and stuff like that, they was they was hard to come by. I didn't really have a good place to work on the car because my my dad. Uh, he operated a, a standard service station, and uh, he, he didn't even have an enclosure. It was a he had an open hoist. And, oh, really? Yeah, and so, and he he did buy me a, a, a an old chain hoist that I could hang in the tree so I could uh, get the motor in and out. And but that was a big a big help. And uh, but it was it was hard it was hard work. And, and yeah. if you said it, I apologize, I missed it. But what age did you start start really racing at? I was uh, nineteen. Forty. Uh, okay. I was nineteen, going on twenty-three. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so so it, it, over it, at Playland, you see any good fights over there? I've heard some famous fights at Playland. Oh, yeah, there was there was a few. There was yeah. <laughs> when you get rubbing and racing a little bit, you know, your tempers get hot. And, and uh, yeah, there's, sometimes they'd, they'd actually get into it a little bit, but most of the time it'd be a, a, a shouting contest and, and uh, everybody would go on about their business and, and it was over with. And, and nowadays when we see in-car cameras, we see these full enclosed seats. You know, NASCAR, the, car, the driver can hardly move. Here locally at Dirt Track, it's a, it's a little more... It's a little less confined, but they're still enclosed seats. You guys had bucket seats. I mean, they were basically just right off the, the factory line. We we raced with anything we could find to bolt in there that even looked like a seat. Uh, I know one time I, I went over to the uh, off of the air base uh, after World War II, and there was a there was a, a seat out of a, 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 a trainer, a plane, and, and it was a. a mostly fiberglass or, yeah. or plywood and uh, but it had the hookups on the side for the seat belt and everything and I thought this would be really good until um, <laughs> you until, got a splinter uh, in your rear? Until. <laughs> I, got, I got banged into uh, on, the, on the back side of uh, Sun uh, Playland Park and hit the guardrail and my my car stopped going when it hit the fence but my rear end kept going knocked the side of the side of the seat out so i says well the plywood just isn't just gonna do it yeah i'm, I'm supposed oh. to ask you about being roped in your car well that was on the same time when the when the seat broke my older brother he must not like me very well because he went out to the trunk of his car and he got about 30 feet of rope and come back and had that all wound around me all around and uh yeah, I was, I was going to be able to stay in there then, but I got thinking afterwards, what if this seat would have caught on fire? <laughs> I, I don't think I would have got out very good. They didn't give you a knife to get out? No. The oh, rope would have burned. The rope would have burned eventually. But, eventually. Yeah. <laughs> but that is one of the stupid things that when you're really wanting to do something, you're willing to try it. You overlook those little things. Just got to try it. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back, talk about the later years. 
and the the uh, as the sun setting in your career and what you've been doing over the last couple of years to keep yourself busy. We'll be back here on the front. Stage. Every race car driver has run into the same problem. It's well past normal parts store closing hours, but you need that one to finish your car. The guys who brought you white knuckle racing by the river bring you Joe's Karting Racing Parts and Tire Store. Open until 10 p.m. Monday to Thursday and open until 11 p.m. on Friday and Saturday. A parts store that fits your after hours schedule and you can turn a few laps at Joe's Karting while you're waiting for your part to get pulled from their warehouse. Joe'sKarting.com for more information. 